Welcome to Modern Aesthetics, the podcast. We're here with Dr. Jonathan Kaplan, a board-certified plastic surgeon in San Francisco where he's been practicing since 2013. Before moving to San Francisco, Dr. Kaplan was employed by a hospital in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was there he first got interested in the topic of price transparency. It wasn't really what you called it back then. It was That wasn't really the buzzword back in 2010, 2011. But we always had patients calling, asking about pricing. And there was two ways that doctors' offices handled pricing back then, or maybe even still to some extent today, is that they would either, the office staff would either say, oh, no, we can't give you pricing until you come in for a consultation, which would just aggravate the hell out of the caller. And the other option was to go through all the pricing, explain it all, and after 10, 15 minutes, the patient, you tell the patient the price and they're like, okay, thanks. And then they hang up and you don't get anything out of it. So I realized there had to be a better way. So that's when I developed a platform. It started out as Build My Body because we were mostly only in aesthetics. And now it's expanded to surgery centers and labs and radiology facilities and other types of doctors, bariatric surgery, OBGYN. So now we're Build My Health rather than Build My Body. So it doesn't focus so much on aesthetics. Anyway, uh, the uh, idea is that the patient can now come to a doctor's website, including my website, and use either our chat bot or our price estimator to check pricing. And as soon as they put in what procedures they're interested in and their contact information, they get an email with a breakdown of the pricing right there uh, in their inbox and we get their contact information. So it's lead generation. Anyway, so I started this back in 2010, 2011. And at that time, one of the U.S. congressmen from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Bill Cassidy, was also a gastroenterologist and also one of my professors in med school. He saw that I developed this app at the time, and he was interested in price transparency. So we continued to work together uh, over the last 10 years. We wrote uh, some articles together in Newsweek, and then he became the co-author of the No Surprises Act, this federal legislation uh, that was bringing more price transparency to all aspects of healthcare. The No Surprises Act af affects consumers more on a daily basis than the Affordable Air uh, Care Act ever did. So it's really surprising that the No Surprises Act doesn't get as much attention as Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, because it really did uh, as doing so much for price transparency and how much patients are paying out of pocket before getting services. So that's how I got into price, price transparency initially and how that friendship with Bill Cassidy has evolved and um, and how I've become so interested in the No Surprises Act since it does affect aesthetics more than most people realize. In December 2020, Congress passed the No Surprises Act as part of a larger COVID relief package. It went into effect on January 1st, 2022. The No Surprises Act, as the name implies, had one overarching goal, to reduce the occurrence of surprise bills after a medical service or procedure. It does this in three broad ways. Dr. Kaplan explains and discussed how the act impacts aesthetics. The first part is the, um, of course, the idea is they're trying to reduce surprise bills after a procedure. So they want to give patients as much pricing information beforehand as they can. So they're not saying they're not going to get bills after the fact. They're just, we want to minimize the surprise bills. So the first part of the No Surprises Act is when people go to the emergency room and, you know, maybe like back in the day, the emergency room doctor wasn't in your network, even though the hospital was in your network, you would, uh, you know, your insurance would cover that part of the uh, bill, but the 
the actual ER doctor who saw you that could then bill you out of network because they weren't in your network. Well, now the No Surprises Act makes that illegal. You can no longer uh, send people surprise out of network bills in an emergency situation. So that's one part of it. Second part is in non-emergency situations that if you are going to be an out of network provider and somebody wants to seek you out for elective, let's use plastic surgery, for example, elective reconstructive, breast reconstructive uh, services, that if it's a non-emergency situation, the doctor now has to provide a consent to the patient to get the patient to sign saying that they agree to use this doctor who's out of network and that they're agreeing to get out of network bills, balance bills potentially, they're giving up their rights against surprise bills. So they can sign that consent in a non-emergency situation. So the doctor can still bill out of network for those uh, services. So that's the second part. Then the third part of the No Surprises Act is that if somebody doesn't have insurance or they do have insurance, but they're choosing not to use insurance because maybe their deductible is so high and it's just easier to pay cash for that MRI or that CT scan um, or basically their self-pay, then in that case, you have to then give the patient a good faith estimate that includes all of the reasonably expected cost that they may incur uh, in this procedure. So it could be an orthopedic procedure you're just paying cash for if you don't have insurance. Um, but the thing is the way they wrote the bill, uh, the rate wrote the No Surprises Act and the way that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, who wrote all the regulations, the way they wrote it is that they just referred to self-pay and uninsured patients. They never ever said aesthetics, they never said cosmetics. So on first glance, you think, oh, aesthetics isn't included. The problem is they use the term self-pay and self-pay usually means people who are choosing not to use your insurance uh, to get a service done. Well, that doesn't really apply to cosmetics because you're not choosing not to use your insurance for your breast dog. It's just not allowed. It's categorically excluded from your policy. Uh, so uh, I, the way I analogize it is that the way people talk about sharing a ride with somebody versus ride share. Those both are similar terms, but they're totally different. One's, you know, Lyft and Uber, one's just sharing a ride with a friend. Well, that's the same thing with CMS, the No Surprises Act. When they use the term self-pay, that's not really the same thing as paying yourself for a procedure like a cosmetic procedure, but they don't make that distinction. They say self-pay, that includes people getting medically necessary services they're paying cash for, or people getting cosmetic procedures that they're paying themselves for not using insurance. And so that's why aesthetics gets swept up into this, uh, this part of the No Surprises Act when you have to give a patient a, a good faith estimate. Now, the thing is, you may say, well, they just didn't think of it and they're going to exclude aesthetics. Well, that's possible, but this has been around for almost a year. And uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, has come out with multiple clarifications about the good faith estimate, the No Surprise Act in general, and they've never taken the opportunity to say aesthetics is, is, is excluded. So what is required of aesthetic practices when it comes to providing a good faith estimate? If it's a reasonably expected cost, they need to be included. So if you're getting a, a surgical procedure, then that is something that, uh, the way I like to think of this is that if it's a procedure that requires multiple providers, or it's a procedure that requires multiple sessions, those things need good faith estimates. Let me explain what that means. So multiple providers, I'm a surgeon, I wanna do an operation in my accredited in-office operating room or at the surgery center to cash pay cosmetic procedure or cash pay non-aesthetic non-emergency procedure, then I have to provide the patient with a good faith estimate that includes my fee, the facility fee, the anesthesia fee, 
the possibility of labs, implants, if they're going to be included, if, if they're appropriate, uh, post-op garments. Those are all reasonably expected costs. So I would have to provide that because there's multiple providers. So if I'm just doing a single like, you know, mole removal, um, that that may not require a good faith estimate in your office because it's just me that's doing that. But but if it's multiple providers, you have to have a good faith estimate. Then if it's multiple sessions, what I mean by that is like a physical therapist, you have multiple sessions or family counseling, you have multiple sessions. In that case, you also have to provide a good faith estimate. So that applies to aesthetics as laser hair removal, um, a, a package deal of multiple Botox sessions or subscription or a membership of Botox or fillers over the course of a year. So multiple sessions ahead of time, you have to provide a good faith estimate of what the monthly cost is gonna be or the individual procedure cost and what the annual cost is gonna be of those multiple session services. So that's why I'd like to point out that I don't think you need a good faith estimate for just a one-time Botox treatment. I don't think you need a good faith estimate for one-time filler treatment, but if you're doing a subscription or a package of laser hair removal or Botox over the course of a year, I do think you need a good faith estimate for that. So let's say you do a good faith estimate for a tummy tuck and you know, you uh, normally your tummy tucks take two hours, but it's possible this will take three hours. So what I recommend is write up a good faith estimate for a three hour version of a good faith uh, of a tummy tuck. That way, and, and if you choose to only ask the patient to pay the two hour version upfront, that's fine. And then if it does go to three hours, then the patient will get a bill after the fact for that third hour. Uh, but that's all right because you told them about it ahead of time that that was a possibility. So it is a bill after the fact, but it's not a surprise bill. But my recommendation though, honestly, would be charge for the three hours and then you can decide what to do after that. Um, don't, don't try to go get that money after the fact in case the patient said, tries to make a trouble with you and say, oh, well, I'm going to report you because you didn't do anything wrong. You did inform them of that information ahead of time. Now, that's reasonably expected cost. Let's say you get in there and there's a hernia and maybe you've been out of practice for a long time for doing umbilical hernias as part of your tummy tuck. And so you don't feel comfortable doing it. So you need a general surgeon to come in and do it. So if the general surgeon was to charge cash for that and then they sent them a bill after the fact, the patient could say, oh, well, I wasn't expecting this is a surprise bill. It's not technically illegal for the general surgeon to charge cash and send a bill after the fact because that was not a reasonably expected cost. Um, just like if the person has a PE and has to get in an ambulance to go to the hospital, those are not reasonably expected costs. So the general surgeon could send a bill after the fact, cash pay, saying, I fixed your, her fixed your hernia, you owe me this money, and that would not be illegal according to the No Surprise Act. However, the general surgeon may actually just submit the bill to insurance and the patient will, you know, just have it go through their insurance. However, the patient may still have a deductible they have to pay, and again, that is still legal for the doctor to send that because that was that was that was an emergency situation or, you, or an urgent situation. The general surgeon can't necessarily bill out of network for that, but they can bill for that, and that would be legal. So it's a lot of ways to look at it. Whether you're going the insurance route or the cash pay cosmetic um, or uh, or non-insurance route. But what about patients who may just want to come to your office for a one-time injection? Do you need to provide a good faith estimate? And I think that uh, requires a little bit more explanation. So keep in mind that CMS, No Surprises Act, when they wrote the regulations and the law, they didn't uh, intend for this. They weren't, aesthetics wasn't on their radar. So that means 
if it wasn't really on the radar, then how do I, how do you read the laws as they apply to aesthetics that they didn't really intend, they didn't really think about aesthetics when they're doing it. I need to be careful. I don't mean to say that they didn't intend for it to uh, uh, affect aesthetics. I just don't think it was on their radar. They weren't really even thinking about it. Um, but if this does apply to aesthetics, but there's, it wasn't written in a way to apply to aesthetics, how do we know what applies to aesthetics? So basically that requires extrapolation. So there was a, a, an update on April 6th from CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where they pose different questions and answers, basically, you know, just trying to give you more guidance on how to handle good faith estimates. And one example they brought up was if somebody comes in for a same day walk-in service, like a lab test, and they use that example, a lab test, do you are you required to give the patient a good faith estimate from that lab provider? And the answer was no, you don't, you're not required to give them a good faith estimate for a walk-in same day service like a lab. So I extrapolated from that to say, okay, well, I think if you're just coming in for a similar type of a needle stick, not drawing blood, but injecting Botox, then I think it's reasonable to say that if you're just coming in for a one-time Botox, that that does not require a good faith estimate. However, again, as I mentioned earlier, that if you are doing a package or subscription of Botox where they come in and they automatically get 20 units of Botox every three months, they're being charged for it automatically $100 a month. So that when they come in every three months, they've already paid for the Botox. That does require good faith estimate because you're not only having to tell them that you're going to get charged $100 a month for your subscription, but the total cost over the course of the year is going to be $1,200. That is required. Um, according, again, based on uh, extrapolation from different clarifications that CMS has put out. So with subscriptions, memberships, things like that in our office, we absolutely provide good faith estimates that include not only the installment cost, but the annual cost. Um, but we do not give good faith estimates for Botox or one-time filler, just like you don't have to do it for a lab test. Now, other, thing, other uh, people have looked into this and they were saying that the way that they say you don't have to provide a good faith estimate for a same day service, this is what I think is different than a walk-in service. Some people extrapolate and say, oh, well, if you decide in the morning that you wanna do an upper eyelid lift on somebody at the surgery center that afternoon, that it's the same day service, you don't need to give them a good faith estimate. I don't believe that's right. I think that because there's multiple providers, that there's the surgeon's fee, the OR fee, the anesthesia fee, I think you still definitely need to give them a good faith estimate for that. But again, walk-in, single service, I think it's reasonable to not give them a good faith estimate, i.e. Botox, i.e. filler. Understanding when a good faith estimate is needed is just the first step. How do you incorporate the process of providing these estimates to patients? And what needs to be included? So the way we do it with our practice is patients can go on to our website through the price estimator chatbot, choose the procedure they're interested in, put in their contact information. They get an instant estimate. It's not a good faith estimate. A good faith estimate is, is a very, it's a legally bound term now. Like in the past, you might've said, oh, we're going to give you a good faith estimate. It's just like vernacular, you know, just like a common phrase. But now this is a legal phrase. So when people check an estimate on our website, that is not a good faith estimate. We haven't seen them or anything, but it is an estimate. And so that's great. Um, and so they get a better idea. And then we get a copy of that estimate. We get a copy of their contact information. Let's say we call them, they come in for a consultation. And then once they come in for the consultation, once we've actually set eyes on them and we know exactly what they really need, then 
uh, we can take their existing estimate through our platform. We can take that existing estimate, update it to a good faith estimate, which is very specific on what the good faith estimate is required to have. CMS was very clear about that. So we've created a template that includes all those requirements, which are things like their name, their phone number, their address, has to have my tax ID number on it, the NPI number on it. It's got to have a diagnosis code on there. Even if it's a cosmetic procedure, there's a diagnosis code for a cosmetic procedure. So you have to have all those things included in the good faith estimate. So the nice thing is we're not having to start from scratch to build them a quote. We can just take their existing estimate, convert it into that good faith estimate. And then those pr the procedures are all broken down. You can't just say, uh, it's a breast dog, it's 10 grand. You have to have the surgeon's fee, the OR fee, the anesthesia fee, the cost of the implants. So by law, you have to have it all broken down. And so our estimate, our good faith estimate automatically does that. And it has to have a disclaimer on there included in the quote. Um, you can't just give them these disclaimers as part of their intake paperwork when they come in. You have to have a disclaimer in there that says that if they get a surprise bill after the fact that's greater than $400 than the good faith estimate, then they can launch a dispute against you, the provider. So we have to have that disclaimer all included in this good faith estimate. Patient has to sign and then we you know, give them a copy. We have a copy. So that's that's the workflow. And the, the beauty of this is that instead of you having to sit down and pull out the paper and build a good faith estimate from scratch, it's it's part of the work has already been done for you by the patient when they submitted the estimate at a time. But the estimate at the beginning on the price estimate of the chatbot, not a good faith estimate, but it is a good estimate. The reason I bring that up is that even though it's not technically a good faith estimate, it's just a plain old estimate, which is fine, that if you have a patient call your office and say, I want to know the cost of this just over the phone, and you say, well, we can't give you an estimate over the phone until we actually see you, then the patient is erroneously potentially going to say, oh, I know the laws. You have to give me a good faith estimate. And so they, they know the law that, that you have to get a good faith estimate but you don't have to give it to them over the phone. So all they're really asking for over the phone is an estimate. But if you refuse to give them an estimate, then they're gonna think you're breaking the law and then they can write a review saying you're breaking the law. They can report you to the board of medicine, which again, you'll be able to say no, like they're wrong and you'll be able to defend yourself, but it's still an annoyance. So that's why I think doctors need to think differently about providing estimates. I wouldn't provide an estimate over the phone unless you get their contact information. I wouldn't just list a menu of prices on your website without you getting contact information through a price estimator chatbot. But I think there's a common ground where you can give them an estimate, even if they want to think it's a good faith estimate, that, that doesn't matter. Once they come in for the consultation, that's the official good faith estimate. And the law will back you up on that. Of course, when it comes to aesthetic procedures, Many physicians include skincare recommendations and products for pre- or post-treatment recovery. How do those recommendations fit into a good faith estimate? I'll just give you a quick overview of our estimate for a, um, let me think of a good example of a, uh, we'll just go with a, a breast dog. Um, we include my fee uh, for the fat grafting and for the implant uh, aspect of the, like my professional fee. We include the cost of the implants. We include the cost of the OR fee. We include the cost of the anesthesiologist fee. We include the cost of the garments. We include the cost of the cosmetic insurance that we provide. And we also include the cost of lab work. And we also include the cost of the, uh, the uh, scar cream. And uh, so all of those things, and then the post-op bra, that's all included. So we're very detailed about everything that we include that it potentially is going to be part of uh, their routine care of 
pre, intra, and post-op care. Oh, we include the cost of the medications. We also give them their antibiotics and their pain medication, their anti-nausea medicine. So we include all the, esti the estimate and the cost of all of that in their good faith estimate. So they really do know how much it's gonna cost. So God forbid they have PE, that's not included in there. Uh, I, you know, just, I don't even wanna mention other potential things that you're not expecting. But um, but yeah, we include all those things in there, including the scar cream slash skincare, yes. And, uh, and similarly, if, I, if we provide uh, Retin-A and hydroquinone for a facelift patient, and scar cream for that, we include those costs as well. One other quick example is, and I know if it's insurance, a totally different story, but for a cosmetic breast reduction that a lot of doctors still send the breast tissue off to the pathologist. Uh, and that needs to be included in your good faith estimate too. And what we do is like, instead of having them go through insurance, because we always explain to the patient, you know, if you really haven't met your deductible, sending your breast tissue for, to a pathologist to be covered by insurance, it's going to be more expensive if you haven't met. You can pay $1,000 just for your deductible, then you're going to pay 20% of your co-insurance. It's going to be terribly expensive. So what we recommend is that they go the cash route on the pathology. And we have a, an arrangement where it's like $350 for the pathology if they just pay cash. And so we include that in their good faith estimate for a breast reduction. So that's something that a lot of doctors who think that, oh, we don't have surprise bills, Probably pathology was not one thing you were thinking of, and that would be a surprise bill to the patient after the fact. To learn more about the No Surprises Act and its impact on aesthetic medicine, visit modernaesthetics.com and read Dr. Kaplan's articles on this topic. Thank you for listening to this episode of Modern Aesthetics, the podcast. Listen to future episodes at modernaesthetics.com or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.